our first work in the area has found, to no one's surprise, that consumers don't like it when prices go up that they change what they're doing. So we study a situation where an internet service provider uh, raised some prices for heavy users of internet content. And when they did that, we watched how households exposed to the price increase changed their behavior. Welcome to Well Said the official storytelling podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Back in the year 2000, just a little more than half of Americans, about 52%, said they use the internet. Now it's almost 20 years later, and that number is up to 90%. Many of us can't imagine our lives without it. We even carry it around in our pocket to keep in touch with friends or listen to great podcasts. And of course, there's this explosion of internet-based video streaming services. Netflix alone has nearly 150 million subscribers. With the increase in subscribers and the competition, prices for these services and even internet streaming are fluctuating. But what does this mean for the economy, for internet service providers, and cable providers? Associate professors of economics John Williams and Brian McManus are figuring it out. This is Brian. So net neutrality is the idea that all forms of content on the internet should be uh, treated in the same way. And this could mean that all types of content are subject to the same prices or the same transmission speeds. And we see this as important because it could affect different content providers, some of them owned by our internet service providers, others not, and some new providers as well that we might want to see get a good chance to get going in the market. Uh, in 2018, or recently, um, net neutrality has been back in the news because the government's considering some policy changing changes um, regarding whether non-neutral uh, policies can be put in place by internet service providers. You may remember back in 2017 when net neutrality became a buzzword in the news. In a vote, the FCC overturned previous net neutrality rules which gave more autonomy to internet service providers and less oversight from the FCC. I think part of the reason why I was back in the news was that it's become a bit of a political issue, um, or at least a campaign issue for kind of both parties, rather than kind of a simply an economic and regulatory discussion, which is, I think, probably where it should be, the arena it should be in. But I I think that's a big reason why it's been in the news so much. But um, at the same time, it is a very important economic issue. It's one that there simply isn't a lot of data out there on. Um, You know, we really don't have any kind of estimates regarding some of the important trade-offs that we face on this issue. Um, And I think this is where, you know, I think Brian and my research um, can add a lot uh, to the debate um, that's been lacking up to now. So John and Brian have set out to determine the actual economic impact of net neutrality, as well as consumer behavior in this constantly changing market. But the changing, and often increasing, costs of our internet bills is not completely a result of that 2017 ruling. So, I mean, part of, I think, the reason 
you're seeing internet bills go up, right? I mean, uh, at, at some point, we haven't had any wonderful technological innovation that you know might keep kind of costs down. Um, the firms are having to invest a lot to keep up with traffic, so traffic grows, you know, 40% or more a year, um, and you know, so you think about that, it's at doubling every two or three years, right? Um, and so they're having to make these investments. I think at the same time, um, you know, the traditional kind of think of telcos and cable companies have been delivering video services. Um, they're now facing, you know, increased competition there. Um, and a lot of kind of their competitors are delivering video service over the internet, right? So things like Sling TV and these over-the-top video services. Um, and, you know, they have to facilitate or accommodate that additional traffic. Generally, most of us are okay with paying an added cost for increased internet speeds. But when we have to pay more because a company is trying to dissuade its customers from streaming video from someone other than them, customers are less likely to be okay with that extra cost. One of the other reasons why we're seeing prices go up is there's an interesting kind of convergence going on between the video entertainment available through the internet and what has traditionally been available through cable bundles. So if you think about what you can see through something like um, YouTube subscription service or DirecTV or Sling, as John mentioned, um, it's a lot of what was valuable about a cable package. And perhaps not surprisingly, the prices are starting to go in the direction of cable package prices. Over the last couple of years, there was this sort of nice period when these services were trying to get off the ground and uh, they were discounted pretty heavily. And uh, for better or for worse, we may be at the end of that transition period. I think many of us can agree that we're feeling the end of that happy time Brian was talking about, right? When subscriptions to services like Netflix were inexpensive and we didn't have to juggle our subscriptions around during our favorite sports seasons or when Game of Thrones was back on the air. With cord cutting becoming the new trend, that is totally eliminating a cable subscription and replacing it with internet streaming services, Brian and John researched how these options relate to each other and ultimately how consumers are being treated. Right now, uh, I would say for me, at least informing policy, informing the regulatory environment is always something I'm just intrinsically interested in. And I think, you know, this was one area where there was just a void. Um, you know, there was no data out there in the public. You know, even the regulatory agencies themselves have absolutely nothing um, empirically to kind of say about all these different trade-offs that we've kind of mentioned. Um, and to me, I think that's one of the most important roles for economists is informing public policy, um, quantifying these different trade-offs. In terms of, you know, why now, um, you know, it's not just that it was in the news, um, you know, actually the ability um, of us and I would say internet service providers to provide the necessary data um, is a fairly new thing. Um, so, you know, I think in the last year or so is the first time we've had data where we could actually measure these things. Um, you know, the different trade-offs on all the different platforms. So we're seeing, you know, actual use of, say, the ISP's video services. We're seeing their, you know, consumers or households use of third-party video services. Um, and, you know, the di and trying to quantify some of the elasticities and things between these different services. Um, this was just data that just wasn't out there. According to John and Brian, Roughly 75% of internet traffic is from video, and 40% of that is from Netflix alone. And just as Brian mentioned, the cost of internet services to support more video streaming 
plus the cost of a Netflix subscription over the last few years is rising as well. And part of what Brian and John found, well, it won't surprise you. Our first work on in the area has found, to no one's surprise, that consumers don't like it when prices go up, uh, that they change what they're doing. So we, invest, we study a situation where an internet service provider uh, raised some prices for heavy users of internet content. And when they did that, we watched how households exposed to the price increase changed their behavior. And they did things like reduce their usage of Netflix or reduce their usage of other video streaming services. And in some cases, they stopped being cord cutters and resubscribed to the cable bundle. Okay, so maybe that was a little bit of a surprise. People who cut the cord are actually abandoning streaming services and higher internet rates because they're starting to pay just about that much anyway. Consider how many subscription services you have, plus your internet cost. Is it worth it? But how does all of this come back around to the net neutrality issues raised a few years ago? That's the other side of the story that John and Brian are looking at. This first step in our, our project is start is to get an initial look at how an internet service pro- provider through the prices it charges can help shape a household's choices over how it receives its video entertainment. And once we start to get traction on that issue, then we can start to think about Additional questions related to net neutrality, for example, what would happen if prices would go up not on all internet usage, but just on on services like Netflix, and how would that uh, result in different uh, impacts on households and the firms? What we'd like to do is uh, do a deeper statistical analysis of activity in the area to allow us to put dollar values on more of the outcomes that we're measuring. So what we can do is use... uh, standard techniques in economics to, to try to quantify the, uh, the value in dollars on consumers when firms change their strategies or uh, certain new options become available. Uh, so not just how many people switch out of Netflix, but something like um, what they lose in terms of willingness to pay when a certain option becomes more expensive or uh, perhaps even goes away from them. In trying to estimate how much consumers benefit or how much they're hurt by certain change, uh, changes in the marketplace that gives us the basis for making uh, the comparisons across potentially complex policy outcomes and regulatory outcomes. I think one other thing is kind of the different complex relationships between firms. So kind of media and telecom has become completely intertwined and in that there's a lot of what we would call vertical relationships. So, for example, Comcast owning NBC Universal, AT&T owning Time Warner. Um, and then you have these complex horizontal relationships where, say, Netflix is hosting a bunch of Disney content and simultaneously now Disney's trying to launch its own service and they're going to pull all their content out of Netflix, right? And they're also licensing all of this content to cable operators and telcos and 
um, and you have them, you know, telcos integrating uh, into their hardware, right, that you get from them, um, you know, access to these different services. And, you know, what are their incentives to offer access? What are their incentives to provide content to one another? Um, it's getting increasingly complex. And, you know, whether this kind of unraveling, you know, it used to be like you get your TV in one bundle, right? Um, whether that unraveling and these complex relationships between firms actually benefit consumers, it's not necessarily real clear. Um, you know, I have a feeling it's going to have kind of redistributive effects. Some people are going to be better off if you kind of have very focused content preferences. Other people may be much worse off. You might end up subscribing to four or five different things as a result and paying much more, right? Uh, and so I think those relationships are going to be interesting to uh, explore as well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Well Said, the official storytelling podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. John and Brian are just getting started on this interesting work. And if you want to keep up with them, check out our economic department's website, econ.unc.edu. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode of Well Said? Send us a tweet at UNC or shoot us an email at wellsaid at unc.edu. You can find Well Said wherever you get podcasts. So we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. See you next week.